0: Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute.
1: Every leader has to face trials. Every leader has to face suffering. Even St. Peter, in his leadership in the Acts of the Apostles, had to go through very hard times. What are the secrets that his leadership shows us about how to cope with the sufferings involved? Well, hi everybody. We're continuing to look here at the Acts of the Apostles and how St. Peter typifies and shows us how to lead as Christians. And when I read between the lines here in Acts, I'm astounded at just how much is in there. So many people, you know, will say to us, you know, gosh, like the Bible doesn't speak about anything practical. I'm like, have you ever read it? I mean, seriously, take a look at Acts chapter six and chapter seven about the episode with St. Stephen. And you really kind of get a grip on just how much St. Peter was asked to deal with as the first pope and the leader of Christ's church. I'm astounded myself when I think about it, when I read it, because, you know, you can maybe understand why Jesus was so hard on Simon Peter when Simon Peter was in the Gospels. You know, he, he really took time to form Simon Peter. And I think it was because the life that was in front of Simon Peter would be so full of challenges so full of difficulties that Simon Peter would have had to learn and remember the lessons that Christ taught him just in order to make it through successfully i mean i'm amazed when i look at what Simon Peter had to face let's just look at a few of these situations right so he has to make the decision you know to to appoint matthias that's already quite an initiative I mean, he had to make the decision how do you know if that was right or wrong he had to go on to make the first proclamation and then deal with all the baptisms. He went from zero to 3000 converts in a single day. Now, what would you do if you had a 3000% growth rate in a single day? I mean, you'd be completely overwhelmed. And what do you do with them? How do you teach them? How do you catechize them? I mean, what a mess, right? reminds me of what one person said to a very motivated young visionary leader they said to him listen you get to live the dream and the rest of us live your nightmare <laughs> right well there's Simon Peter i mean he's definitely living the dream he's like let's convert 3000 in one day and then well, like a bot i guess it looks like a, a week later they're up to 5000 he almost doubles the size of christianity starting from zero to 3,000, and then within a week, he's doubled it to almost 6,000. How do you deal with 5,000 new Christians? You baptize them, I mean, but you're doing your best, and then think of the dissensions he had to go through, and how did he know how to do that? Even governing the activity of the 12 apostles. I mean, he must have had to rely on the Holy Spirit in an amazing way, but the amount of stretch that God asked from him was extraordinary. A little bit later, he gets thrown in prison. He gets beaten with the 12 apostles. We're only on chapter five of the Acts of the Apostles, and Simon Peter's already been beaten by his authorities, by the Jewish authorities, after having tried to convert the chief priests of Israel to Jesus Christ twice to his face, and both times failing. Again, you could think, oh, Simon Peter's like, all right, I proclaimed the gospel and had 3,000 people convert. Now I'm gonna say the same message to the high priest. No one converts. High priest doesn't convert. Either there's John, Alexander, Annas. None of them convert. Instead, what do they do? They beat him, right? So then he has to deal with that. So he goes back, for example, in Acts 4, after he's released from the high priest and he goes back to his friends. It's interesting. He goes back to his friends. He relies on the people that he serves and he asks them, you know, what, tells them what's going on. They end up praying with him and then they continue to announce the gospel boldly and everything just is going, you know, great, right? In Acts 4 verse 32, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul and they, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. How beautiful is that? They grow, you know, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. There was no needy person. And then this great benefit, verse 36, the rise of Barnabas. Thus Joseph, who is also called by the apostles Barnabas, which, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold the field that belonged to him, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So, I mean, that must have been amazing. So then Barnabas comes, having sold what belongs to him, puts it at the apostles' feet as their humble servant. Everything is growing along just fine, to the point where you could say, say to yourself, okay, Simon Peter, we get it. Jesus is with you. You're going to do great things. You're going to proclaim the gospel. Wonders will be done. Miracles will be performed. Cripples have never walked again. will bound around, you know. Every once in a while you might get in trouble. But we understand a rhythm sets in here. And Simon Peter has to govern and make all kinds of decisions. But so far there has not been any real opposition from the inside of his community. That is until Acts chapter 5 where Ananias and Sapphira come. And immediately for the first time, we see Peter in action with a disappointment coming from the inside. It's, it's interesting to see how the life of Simon Peter as a leader mirrors the life of Christ. He has to endure withering attacks from the outside, the Pharisees, the scribes, the leaders who are calling him son of Beelzebul, who are not believing in him, who are causing obstacle for his work. And yet, the thing that must have grieved Christ the most was the opposition coming from the inside. We see him sigh, for example, from the depths of his being and say, oh, worthless and faithless generation, how long must I put up with you? When his own disciples don't understand or show themselves willing to follow his teaching. We see him in in John chapter 6 when The apostles see the very first people leaving Christ, looking to them and saying, "Will you too go away?" We see it in Mark when he when he asks his apostles, "Don't you understand?" He says, "Oh, you of little faith! Why were you slow of heart to believe?" He upbraids them in Luke. Jesus had the grieve the grievance inside of not being understood even by his own, and he had to endure that, push forward, and so too to Simon Peter as he does with all of this great victory, Barnabas, etc. right after that, it says, but a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. So whereas Barnabas brought it all, this guy only brings a part of it. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? And then, wow. So what happens? It says, when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. <laughs> oh my gosh. So don't mess with Simon Peter, right? How about it's not Simon Peter who killed him? It's just those words, right? Like the Ananias And the Holy Spirit demonstrating here. But Simon Peter had to deal with the fact that these people themselves were lying to him. And yet he kept on going forward. His greatest trial, though, I think early on as Pope comes with the death of Stephen. And I want us to take a look at that together.
0: Father Nathan is producing an ongoing source of videos to form, unite, and inspire you and your family. Go to eagleeyeministries.org. That's E-A-G-L-E-E-Y-E-Ministries.org. And subscribe to Eagle Eye Pro. Subscribe today.
1: You know, little is said about St. Stephen, who he was as a person. Right? What is told to us is in Acts chapter 6. Now in those days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore pick out from among you seven men of good repute, Full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And while they said this, please, this pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, the first one that they've mentioned of the deacons, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, etc. They set them before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them, and then they did this job. Later on it says, St. Stephen was full of grace and power and doing great wonders and signs among the people. And so, what do we know about Stephen? Well, it tells us he was full of grace. He was full of power. He was teaching. Interesting, because that's how he gets in trouble later on in chapter 6 here. And he was of good repute. He was, again, full of the Spirit And wisdom, so I've got six qualities here of St. Stephen. And of all those six qualities, they tell us that then he was to put them at the service of waiting on the tables. So taking care of the practical needs of the church community. So he must have been someone who had a certain amount of practical skill, So going over those qualities of St. Stephen, we see basically an impeccable character who then is placed at service. How old was he? Was he married? What were his family like? What what was his his strengths of character? We don't know anything more about him. But we know this, that when he debated and tried to teach about Christ, he was 100% correct and impossible to refute. So he, he must have been very smart at the same time, he must have been a man of confidence to go out and try to teach. I mean, combat with the Hellenists, that takes a lot of confidence. He must have been an incredible person. So when he's listed first among the deacons, it's also to show us that in Simon Peter's estimation, this was the man for the job. Someone that he could entrust his community to so that his community would be okay. So St. Stephen would have really been the right hand, the, the, the manager here of St. Peter in terms of the practical needs of the church a, there's there's a lot to be said for someone like that someone someone simon peter would not have called saint stephen to that job had saint stephen not had exceptional qualities and again with so much talent look at how he serves christ he goes forward to evangelize that's so, i mean saint stephen is just an incredible person and so you can think of an incredible person. He probably comes from an incredible family. I mean, how does he have all of this strength of character, this wisdom, if he didn't get it from his family? I mean, we don't know these details for sure, but it makes sense. And so there must have been a real friendship anyway between Peter and this man. And Peter and the seven of them, they lay hands on them. They know them. They approve of them. These are people in the inner circle of the church community. And they serve for at least a little while, Before St. Stephen gets in trouble, let's take a look here at Acts 6. What happens? It says, They set up false witnesses. These are the Hellenists uh, who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law, for we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Isn't that amazing? Not only is he so incredible, but everybody knows and sees that he's anointed by God in a special way, and in that he's a special man. And the high priest said, "Are these things so?" This is Acts seven, and Stephen said, and he goes into this incredible speech. I wish we had time to look at it together, you know, because I mean, Saint Stephen goes on to basically prove from the Old Testament that it is entirely reasonable to believe that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all the prophecies and the Messiah come in the flesh, and that if you believe in him, you will have salvation. It's a masterful speech, and it just demonstrates Stephen's holiness, Stephen's faith, Stephen's religiosity, etc. This is just an incredible specimen of a human being, which is why it's so tragic that even though they're convinced by what he says, they decide to kill him. I'd say if you look here at 54, verse, chapter 7, verse 54. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out the loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. Right? So it's just, uh, I mean, it's like dramatic, what happens here this is simon peter's right hand man and this is this is a a person who's completely innocent it's it's so amazing because so many times we think that the innocent should never suffer and we think that we should never suffer because most of us think that we're innocent you know when there are problems that happen in the workplace when they, you know a lot of us we're not the main source of those problems we we are the leader when there's problems in the family you know, it's hard for us to then turn around and say we're actually the source of it, you know? But, you know, we want to actually be the ones that are out in front running, running the show and helping find the solution. So when in turn we end up being the object of unjust persecution, bitterness and smallness can take us down. Our souls can be filled instead of magnanimity greatness and boldness, we can just be filled with kind of like a bitter complaint, this shouldn't happen to me. You know, I say sometimes you think to yourself, "Well, why shouldn't it?" You know, I mean, who do you think you are? You think you're better than everyone else? Everybody else suffers this way, but it's instinctive. It's just part of how we view ourselves to say that it shouldn't have happened. My my company shouldn't have gone down. Uh, there was bad market. Uh, my 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 family shouldn't have been divided. But it's not what you see in the Bible. In the Bible, you see that life is unfair and that good men are killed needlessly by idiots. (laughs) I mean, excuse me for being so bold, but like nincompoops rule this world on a consistent basis. And the Bible is no stranger to that. Look at Herod with Jesus Christ. I mean, if there was ever a mismatch in dignity, it's Jesus Christ versus Herod. And yet Herod has the upper hand, dresses him in purple Has him, sends it back to Pilate after mocking him in front of everybody. Look at John the Baptist, the greatest man ever born of woman, who ends his life by being decapitated at the whim of a 14 year old girl, who herself is manipulated by an adulterous wife, who herself is wedded to a weak, pathological ruler. I mean, it's just so unjust. And that injustice continues on to Stephen. And Peter has to deal with it. Now suddenly he's faced with one of his biggest first challenges. The first Christian is martyred. What's going to happen to the rest?
0: Father Nathan has founded the St. John Institute, the MBA program that develops students into the leaders of tomorrow by giving them a missionary's heart and an entrepreneur's mind visit our website at stjohninstitute.org. Dare great things for Christ.
1: I love to think about St. Stephen's martyrdom and how it affected St. Peter. I love to think about it because it kind of shows us the inner heart of the leadership of Peter and the realism of Peter's suffering, what he must have gone through as a leader. Here's what I mean. I mean, when you're a leader, you're, you're, you've dedicated yourself to being the one on the front line. When you storm the battlefield, right? You storm it in the front. You don't lead a charge from the back. Charge, everybody else. Don't go, you know. Hope you make it. I know I'm going to stay back here where I'm safe. No, you get in the front of your troops and you lead them into the battle first. You, a good leader leads by example. We know that. The, the dedication the leader has to success has to be greater than the dedication that his or her people have to the same success. I think this is a a really key in in terms of parenting. I mean, the very first thing that has to happen to make your family happy is that you have to decide to put your family first. If you don't put your family first, there's no way that they're going to ever be happy. A family is designed as an exercise of leadership by God. And what it requires from the parents is absolutely heroic. I say this to young people all the time. You know, I tell them, I say, look, marriage is not for weak and timid souls, right? It's a full contact sport. And you better be ready to have your life changed and moved in directions you never thought it was going to. Right? And, and any, any, why? Because like what you're, you, you were in for every detail of your life being given and taken. And the children need that. So if you start to look at it, what's a success to a happy family? It's a happy father. It's a happy mother. It's people that say, I'm in this to be a parent and not to serve anybody else. And once that happens and you yourself make that decision that my family comes first, well, then the family will start to thrive because it's designed for that. I think that a lot of times family life flounders because it lacks a dedicated leader. We act like family just happens out of thin air. Family does not happen out of thin air. Family happens as the result of people who decide to found it. And without a founder, without an active decision of intentionality towards putting that family as a priority, there's no way that the family can flourish. That's not how families are designed. Families are basic communities. And a community is formed by its leader well who's the leader of your family who is it that's carrying your family forward if it's not you then it's someone else so what you need to do is really take the reins up there and say you know what like if my family is not the way that i want it to be there's nobody who can change that but me and that means i've got to want it more than the rest I've got to lead by not becoming discouraged, not allowing the negativity of the kids to get to me, not allowing the negativity of the difficulties around me to get to me. I am going to lead this family from the heart by beginning with the heart in the decision that I'm making. This family is going to be radiant. And if I have that decision, nothing's going to be able to stop it. True leadership happens from the inside. And it's the same thing here with Simon Peter. Because he's faced with a, a terrible thing. He himself led the church by wanting her and loving her from the inside. Just like Jesus, who it says in the letter to the St. Paul to the Ephesians, he loved the church and gave himself up for her that she might be holy. Well, Peter loved the church and gave himself up for her that she might be holy. And he's serving her every day. So I think it must have really hurt him when he saw that St. Stephen died and he didn't i mean think about it this man who was so wonderful st stephen perfect in so many ways full of the holy spirit wisdom good repute etc dies and peter doesn't i kind of wonder you know when peter saw this happening if he didn't want to jump himself in front of the stones maybe he wasn't there maybe it all happened too fast but in any case, where was he? And, and, and how did he take the news that one of the Christians had died on his watch? I think he probably took it very hard. And I think also it must have been like a, a, a puzzle for him. Why couldn't he be the one to die? And the answer was simple. I mean, one day he will. <laughs> Remember what it says in the Gospel of St. John, right, where Jesus predicts his death. This is John chapter 21. Another will bind you and take you where you would rather not go. By this he meant the death by which Peter would glorify Jesus. But Peter, so Peter knows that death is coming his way. And he has to serve now a church that's been so wounded. Immediately after the death of Stephen in chapter 8, persecution strikes the whole church. And so now Peter has to govern a church in her suffering. Does he see himself as responsible for this? Like, I wonder if he was saying, I, it, maybe I should have, got, have intervened. Maybe I should have said something. Maybe I should not have let Stephen take on the Hellenists. That St. Stephen was killed because he was bold. I think it's, it's, it's very important, like, to see that the first martyr of Christianity received the martyrdom because he was trying to expand by going towards those who were against the christian message you get it and the same thing happens to us today in our church the easiest way to be accepted by everybody is to simply not talk about what people have told you you should not talk about but what if you went into the zones where people had declared off that you could you that that you could not go to what if you decided to actually be a thought leader in the conversation i mean you would find opposition and violent opposition and that's exactly what St. Stephen did. His boldness is an example to the church and I think it must have emboldened St. Peter. Because that St. Peter who spoke boldly in the face of a man who could have killed him, who would be beaten by the high priest. and The same Simon Peter and the 12 apostles, they had to have been inspired by St. Stephen because now one of them had sealed his witness by his blood. And so Simon Peter, maybe that was given before the great persecution from St. Paul in order to help Simon Peter lead the church through that persecution. Just as St. Stephen continued on to preach Christ even in the face of great threat to himself, so too the church must continue to preach the truth in the face of the threats that assail her today. And the leaders of the church and the leaders in the workplace, and the Christians who are in the world need to bear witness. The blood of Stephen is upon the ground as a silent proclamation of the dedication of the church to truth. Where are you in that proclamation? Where are you as a leader in your culture? Why is it that we're not stepping up more robustly? Is it that we're afraid of the persecution? Well, say, Stephen, pray for us just as you must have prayed for Simon Peter, to stand up against the winds that blow and to speak truth in season and out. And I think that's exactly what Simon
0: Peter did. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.